The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In yesterday's message, we had begun looking at the topic of the divine preservation of the scriptures. We left off at the point where we were beginning to look at the historical evidence supporting what the Bible itself says about divine preservation. I do not believe that we have to go to the historical record because we can rely upon the Bible itself. But what's amazing about it and glorious is that the historical record supports the Bible. And so we are looking at the historical record in our discussion of divine preservation of the scriptures. Today, we'll look at that historical record and we'll see the strong evidence that we have from both history and ancient writers to support the fact that God and his providence preserved his inspired word. And although we're discussing the topic of divine preservation in general, we're going to begin to look at the fact that God actually preserved his word in English through the King James translation. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
let's talk about some extra biblical support. And this is where I want you to pray for me. I don't want this to be a history lesson, but just a history lesson. It is going to be a history lesson, but I don't want it to just be a dry history lesson. I want you to think with me about how important these things are, okay? Now, let me also hasten to say this. I have faith that what I have is the Word of God, and I believe it, and that's all I need. I'm not saying we need anything else than what I've just read. We can rely on these words having been preserved, having been inspired. We can rely on them. So I'm not preaching, well, we've got to go out and prove the Bible's right by going to history. Not saying that at all. But you know what's exciting when you do get to looking at history and archaeology? It does prove the Bible's right. <laughs> Isn't that glorious? <laughs> you don't have to go prove it's right, but it does. <laughs> Yeah, I know there's people that will take things and interpret them different ways, but if you look at them with the view that the Scripture is correct, then you'll see this supports that. So let's talk about that. First of all, let's talk about the historical support there is out there for the divine preservation of the Word of God. Now, I'm going to be talking about manuscripts. Manuscripts are, are handwritten uh, copies of the Old and New Testament. And, and, and that's what we had up until the printing press of the 1500s, late 1400s, early 1500s. They didn't have print, print like that. They only had scribes and, mon and monks and, and other faithful men who would copy the scriptures uh, over and over and try to preserve them in that way. So there's three primary types of manuscripts. There's papyrus, which is a flimsy paper-like substance that was invented in Egypt, uh, but was used throughout the Middle East and throughout actually uh, the ancient world. So there was papyrus that was copied, and that's the least preservable. That's the, that's the flimsiest um, of all the, the types of manuscripts that there are because it's just like paper. You think about, you think about paper. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, we talk about our Bible sometimes having greasy pages for primitive Baptist verses. You know, ninth chapter of Romans is a greasy finger page for the primitive Baptist. We always tend to go there, different places like that. Well, it's because hopefully if you're using your Bible, your Bible ought not to be uh, uh, a trophy sitting up on a shelf. <laughs> your Bible ought to be used. I, I can't tell you how many Bibles I've torn up. I, this is my... I mean, I'm not saying that because I'm some great scholar, but I have tried to stay in the Word of God. And this is a fairly new Bible, and, and the way it's going, it's probably going to have to be replaced one of these days too. But, uh, but be that as it may, something that's used gets used up. So then you have, besides papyrus, you have codex tablets. And that's where they took some of the papyrus and other forms, and they bound them together like a book. It's basically a book. Uh, it was not the same kind of book as we have today, but it's scrolls and things like that that they rolled together, put them together to preserve them. And then the third type is vellum, which is animal skin parchments. And those are the most uh, preservable. Those are the things that last the longest, okay? Papyrus is the least preservable, had to be copied regularly, and ultimately they bound many of those into books. And they're, as I said, they're called codexes, co a codex. And you're going to hear about different names of codexes. That's bound copies of the scriptures. And that brings me to a test for accuracy, a test for reliability uh, of ancient documents. It's called the bibliographical test. And what the bibliographical test does is it measures 
the transmissional accuracy, the, the fact of the accuracy of the transmission of the, of, the, of the writings and the reliability of the manuscripts by taking the number of currently existing manuscripts and looking at the difference between the dates of the original writing or what we call the autograph, I mentioned that already, compared to the dates of the earliest surviving manuscripts. And this is a test that's used universally in determining accuracy and reliability of ancient documents. Okay? So let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Remember our question, can we rely on what we have? We're not talking about which version now, but can we rely on what we got, just in general, okay? You've heard of Homer. Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Homer was one of the great poets of ancient Greece. There's some question about whether he really was one man or whether it was a group of, of uh, uh, poets that went around uh, uh, you know, entertaining the people, but whether, whether or not he was, okay, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. We currently have, by the way, let me, let me stop here and say this. Check me out on these. I'm not ashamed to be corrected. If you find I made a mistake, that just tells me you're looking, <laughs> you're studying. I'm glad to hear that. But this is, this is the result of the best studies that I have been able to, uh, to do and the best information I've been able to put together. Uh, and I say that because, you know, from time to time they update these numbers because they find something else. So I, I give you that these numbers could be off a little bit. But generally speaking, especially at the time I was studying this, this these numbers are accurate. So Homer, the Iliad and the Odyssey. 643 copies that exist today. The first copy we have was written approximately 400 years after Homer lived, or whoever Homer was, if he was one person or more, after the original writings were, were pinned down. 400-year gap. Herodotus. Herodotus is a historian, a Greek historian. Uh, he made up a lot of fables, but he told us a lot of history, okay? Eight copies exist of Herodotus' works, eight manuscripts, the first of which we found 1,350 years after Herodotus lived, okay? Thucydides, who happens to be my favorite Greek author because he was really the father of history. He really tried to take a historic, scientific approach to writing down the history of the Peloponnesian War uh, of the Greeks. And uh, he, he had a, a pretty involved, uh, long history of the Peloponnesian War. We have eight copies of Thucydides. And the first copy we have was written about 200 years after Thucydides. It was copied down. It was copied in, in dates from 200 years after his death. Caesar wrote a history of the Gallic Wars. He wrote other things, other, other works. We have 10 copies of Caesar's works. The earliest one's about 1,000 years after Caesar lived. Tacitus, we have, he was a, a, a Roman historian. We have 20 copies of Tacitus's works about 1,000 years the earliest copy is about a thousand years after he lived. Plato, you've probably heard of Plato, Greek philosopher. Seven copies. The earliest copy is about 1,200 years after Plato died. Okay? So the earliest we've seen so far is a 200 year gap. The latest is about a 1,350 
year gap. We have no originals of any of those. These are the earliest copies. Okay, what about, what about the Bible? What about the Bible? Remember, let's see, we had 643 copies of Homer's writings. Well, for the Bible, just like these ancient, other ancient writers, we don't have the original manuscripts that were written by the apostles and by Moses and all of that. But there is an unbelievable number of ancient manuscripts that do survive. Over 24,000 ancient manuscripts survive of the New Testament alone. And that's about 5,300 that were written in the Greek that are copied in Greek, uh, 10,000 in Latin, and 9,000 in various other languages. Over 24,000 ancient manuscripts exist of the New Testament alone, the earliest of which date to within 50 to 100 years of the original manuscripts. Now you tell me what we can rely on more, Homer or the New Testament? See, this bibliographical test favors the reliability of the scriptures that we have. The Old Testament, there's more than 17,000 copies of the Old Testament. We'll talk about this some more later on, but the ancient Masoretes, they were students of Moses' law. They were scribes, and they meticulously copied down the Old Testament, both the law and the prophets and the wisdom literature. And, and they, they, these men devoted their lives to perfection and preserving and copying the Old Testament books. There's very little controversy, by the way, about the Old Testament. Maybe a little bit in regard to the Septuagint, which is the Greek copy, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Generally speaking, the Masoretic text of the Old Testament, pretty much everybody agrees, is accurate. Okay? Amazing evidence of God's providential preservation of the text of the words of the New Testament and the Old Testament. There's a man named Bruce Metzger who's actually not a, he's not a necessarily favorable to, to, to Christian thoughts in this regard, but he wrote this. He's a textual critic. He said, The time between the composition of the books of the New Testament and the earliest extant, that is, existing copies, is relatively brief. Instead of the lapse of a millennium or more, as is the case of not a few classical authors, several papyrus manuscripts of portions of the New Testament are still existing, which were copies within a century or so after the, compos after, after the composition of the original documents. A, a man named Gary Habermas, who is a Bible scholar that I found in my research, again, I'm not sure he's really a strong supporter of Christian theology, but be that as may, he was a scholar. He wrote this, you know, it's, it's, it's important what our enemies say about us, is it not? <laughs> if our enemies even affirm some things, and that, that makes it even more uh, likely to be true. What is, what is usually meant, he says, is that the New Testament has far more manuscript evidence from a far earlier period than other classical works. There are just under 6,000 New Testament manuscripts with copies of most of the New Testament dating from just 100 years or so after its writing. Classical sources almost always have fewer than 20 copies each and usually date from 700 to 1,400 years after the composition of the work. In other words, the classics like Homer, Herodotus, and these others are not as well attested as the scriptures of the New Testament and the Old Testament. All right, let me turn to one other area that, that I believe also supports 
the divine preservation of the scriptures and the fact that we can rely on what we have. And that's the opinions of some ancient Christian writers. There was an ancient Christian philosopher and preacher named Tertullian who uh, lived in the second century. I, I can't remember his birth date, but it's 150 to 200 AD. He was, he was born certainly before 180, because in 180 AD, he wrote this. He, he mentioned that the original letters, the original letters, the autographs, the ones that were actually written by the Apostle Paul and maybe one or two others, were still in the churches that they were written to. And this is what he says. Come now, you who would indulge a better curiosity. If you would apply it to the business of your salvation, run over to the apostolic churches in which the very thrones of the apostles are still preeminent in their places in which their own authentic writings are read, uttering the voice and representing the face of each of them severally. And he goes on to discuss that each of these authentic writings were found in the very churches in which they were written. He mentions Corinth, Philippi, Thessalonica, Ephesus, and Rome. And he urges his readers to go visit these churches. This is in 180 AD. You know, the Apostle John died, we think, in 95 to 100 AD. So less than 100 years after the death of the last apostle who wrote the last book of the Bible, he says, those writings are still there. Go look at them. He believed, he believed apparently that those documents were the originals that were written. So he believed they were all still in existence in 180 AD. Okay, Irenaeus, who was a disciple of the Apostle John, he was one of the, considered one of the church fathers. He referenced copies of some of the letters of John that he had actually seen. He was discussing an issue in Revelation chapter 13, and in his writings, he was, he was born in 120 or so A.D., and he was writing about mid-century, and he was referencing copies he had seen personally of the writings of the Apostle John. All right, a little further on in time, a man named Peter, who was the bishop of Alexandria down in Egypt, who died in 311 A.D., he was persecuted by Diocletian, and he, he died in the persecution of Diocletian, I should say. He spoke about the original of the Gospel of John as still being in existence in Ephesus. And that's in the late 200s, early 300s. So, ultimately, here's what, he's, here's what we can conclude, I, be, I believe, based on scriptural evidence and all these other things that support it. There is no body of ancient literature in the world which has such a wealth of good support as the New Testament and the Old Testament. And by the way, even if you look at those 24,000 manuscripts that survive of the New Testament that we were talking about, you say, well, there's some differences, aren't there? There's, there's some differences here and there, what we call textual variants, differences in the text, but over 99% of them are misspellings or word order and make no difference, make no difference in the doctrine of the church. Nothing there. And there is no credible manuscript that denies any essential Christian doctrine. That is, no essential Christian doctrine is jeopardized by any of these manuscripts. So put it all together. Can we rely on what we have? The answer is absolutely. We can rely on, just, just forget about our faith. Forget about having faith in what the Bible itself says. Just looking at it from a historical standpoint, we've got more support historically for the scriptures than we have for any other ancient writing. 
So if, you, if I were just a historian that came, you know, came to this with no faith whatsoever, I'd say, man, we got something special here in the Scriptures. We can rely on what we have. Okay, you remember the second question about divine preservation? It has to do with divine providence in the translations that we have been given. And the question is, which translation can we rely on? That is, which translation is most accurate? So let me give you a little, let me give you a little preview. Let me give you a little preview of what I want to preach about, about the divine providence that God used in the translation of his word into English. King James Version versus all the others. Okay, basically, and we'll come back to this tonight, Lord willing, there are two different manuscript sources from which the King James Version versus all other translations come from. And that is, these two versions are the Textus Receptus line of manuscripts. It's also known as the Antioch line, and it originated uh, with some documents in Antioch of Syria. And the other line of manuscripts is the Alexandrian line of manuscripts. Uh, the Alexandrian line of manuscripts forms the basis of almost every newer modern translation that there is. And we're going to talk about that tonight, as I said, Lord willing. The Textus Receptus is the general term for those manuscripts that the King James translators in 1604 to 1611 relied upon. And I want to tell you, just as a preview, the Textus Receptus has some very strong reliability that we need to keep in mind, as opposed to the Alexandrian line, which did not really start being used as far as an English translation until the end of the 1800s. By the way, there's not much dispute, as I said already, about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is based upon the ancient Masoretic texts, which are widely agreed upon as authoritative. There's very little controversy concerning them. So here, here is the preview, okay? And, and I'm going to tell you, stay tuned. Come back. I'm going to tease you. This is the teaser. Okay, this is the teaser for tonight. Okay? You need to look at three things when it comes to the reliability of the translation that you have. Number one, you need to look at the manuscripts that the translators used. Number two, you need to look at the methodology that the translators employed. And number three, you need to look at the motives that the translators had in each case and the purposes, in many cases, the stated purposes of the translation and the motives of the translators. What we're gonna see again, and what I've studied for me personally, has solidified me in saying that I believe that the King James translation is the Bible that we can rely on in English today. The manuscripts they used, the methodology they employed, and their motives, I believe it will prove to you that the King James translators were trying to preserve this word in English and did so under the divine guidance of God himself who promised to keep his inspired words from this generation and forever. So to sum it up, let's, let's leave it like this. We believe in the divine inspiration of the Word of God, but we also need to believe in the divine preservation of the Word of God. And let's not be afraid to investigate and see where that Word is preserved today. Uh, when I started this, my whole purpose, and I hope yours will be, that wherever it leads you, wherever the truth is, that's where I want to go. You know, that's what God wants us to do. Praise God, I found the truth here. 
I believe I found the place that the Lord wants me to be. I have found the place that, that I believe is trying. Not, we don't always get it right. We're not always right about everything. But we're, I'm, I do know you as a people, and I know, I know if I know my own heart, we're trying to do right and to get it right as we can here in this world. And you know why we need to know the truth? Jesus said the truth will make you free. That doesn't mean the truth's going to get us to heaven. The truth is children of God are going to heaven. But there's a lot of children of God that don't know the truth of their eternal salvation, the truth that they can rely upon a preserved word that's been inspired in this world. And the truth is they don't know they got a place like this to come and to get a little rest from all the tragedies and sorrows of this world. I hope this has been helpful to you and hadn't been too, too didactic, but, uh, but, but continue to pray for me. Lord willing, we're going to explore these issues a little further as, as we go along. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.